Now this Bible has a, a definition of Yah. It says that uh, this is the shorter form of the Lord's holy name, Yahweh or Jehovah. Contracted form of the name of the Lord appears 50 times in the Old Testament. Many of the references are in the Psalms and involve the compound word, Hallelujah. We were just singing, Hallelujah. Okay? Translated, it means praise the Lord. The word literally means, quote, you must all praise Yah. So when you're singing Hallelujah, or you're saying Hallelujah, you're saying praise the Lord in the shortened form of His name, as we have it in English. Yah, for Yahweh. It says, this word is spread from Hebrew into many languages and is a beautiful expression suitable for joyous worship. And it is an interesting uh, international word. Uh, do they say hallelujah in Norwegian? It's the same. Who speaks a different language? How about Spanish? Anybody know what it is in Spanish? Oh, gee. Oh, surprise. Actually, it's translated all over the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The old King James would, would state it, praise ye the Lord. Right? Praise the Lord. But it's, we're speaking of his name. So it's not just a, a word we can, you know, flip. hallelujah, you know. Yeah, that was great. You know, I got across the street without getting hit by a card. Hallelujah. It's sort of a filler. We sh- you know, let's be mindful of the things that we do and how they relate to the word of God. So when I'm saying hallelujah, I'm actually lifting up his name. And when, when business is good, you say business is good. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, because he's the one, according to Deuteronomy 8.18, says he's the one who gives us the power to get wealth. He's the one that gives us life and strength in our bodies in order to do the work he gives us so that we can have increase. And uh, life isn't all about increase. Uh, Jesus said, you know, man's life isn't, doesn't consist of the things that he owns or has. But when those things come, or when you're healed, I'm being healed this week. My... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know what happened, but my left shoulder, kind of one-third dislocated. Anybody ever had a dislocated shoulder? Really, all the way out? I don't think I have, but this was pretty painful. And I couldn't, I couldn't even lift my own hand up this far. So I had somebody jump on me, you know. And, wow, that got most of it done. But over the period of the week, and even this morning, it says, I'm going to lift my hands. I thought, okay, let's see how high we can get it, you know. And, oh, hey, Hallelujah. There it is. I'm in this house. I'm in his presence. Let his healing flow into this shoulder. In Jesus' name. And then I can say, Hallelujah. That's a good word. That's a little exhortation. Amen? Okay. It's not our message this morning, but if you've had enough, you can leave, I guess. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody said. Oh, that's scary. Hebrews is where I'd like to go this morning. Is has humorously been said by someone that book of the Bible that proves that the man is supposed to make the coffee. I want to tell you it takes about fifty-five minutes to read this book out loud. There's a little trivia for you. So if you decide to stand in your house or read this book out loud, it'll take you almost an hour. If you don't like that, Ephesians only takes about 15 or 16 minutes. You could do that four times. 
Hebrews is an, a very interesting book to me, and I hope it will be to you. I, I'm, I'm feeling led by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's a way that we kind of lay it off in case something goes wrong. It's his fault. You know? <laughs> but, but no, I'm feeling really moved towards the book of Hebrews in my spirit, and I'm hoping that we can unfold the whole book. Not today. I'm not going to take it on today. I'm not going to read it out loud for 55 minutes and be done with it, but... There's a huge message in this book for us today. As we know, God includes in his word those things that we need. It says that his word gives us everything we need for life and godliness and all the promises we need are here. But this book, for me, has taken on new significance in setting us free from living under the bondage of a law-driven, uh, have-to kind of Christianity. I'll see if I can take that a little further. Have you ever felt like you had to do more in order to please God? Like, I'm not doing this quite right. I need to do better. You ever felt that pressure like I need to measure up? I meet people, you're talking to them, and you say, well, you know, why not surrender your life to Christ? And they say, well, you know, i got to get better before I can do that. Have you run into that? Like, I'm not good enough to, for God to even love me. <laughs> the point of Scripture is that's true. There's nothing in you, the Bible says, that makes you attractive to God, except that he loves you. He just decided. He decided to love you. Aren't you glad it wasn't based on looks or size or shape or um, some other attribute of ours that made God love us? It's just his decision to care about us and to love us and to send his son in our place and die on the cross for our sin and bring us back to himself. He literally bought us back. We were sold, the Bible says, sold into sin and slavery and to this unfortunate condition of being separated from him. And Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to close the gap. I'm going to take their sin. I'm going to put it in myself on my own body. And I'm going to nail it onto the cross and it's going to be done forever. And now the way back to God is made easy for us. It's almost too simple, really. And that's part of what Hebrews talks about. It's almost too easy. Too simple to become a Christian. Because you simply need to ask Christ to come into your heart. I remember the day that I accepted Christ. I was down at Jack in the Box in the middle of town. And the guys were answering my questions about my search. I was looking for the answers to life. And they answered them from the Bible as they stood there in the parking lot. And after they made it through all these about ten scriptures and shared with me things right from their hearts, which was led by the Holy Spirit, because I didn't ever ask any questions, but they answered every question I had. So you've heard that story. And, and then they closed their Bibles and said, do you have any other questions? I had two. The next one was this. How did you know what my questions were? And they just grinned at each other. And I thought, that's weird. <laughs> weird. But later I began to understand they were led of the Holy Spirit. And he was just talking through them. And they literally went down my list and answered all the questions I had about life and uh, life after death. And I'd been in a car wreck and I was wearing a brace that had a spinal fusion. And, and it was a big deal surgery for a teenager. And, and I had to wear this brace for a year and all that. And so I'm out there, you know, kind of your leftover druggie. And, and what's life really all about? What, did, what would have happened to me if I had died in this wreck I was in instead of being patched back together? So I was asking people those questions. They answered them. So I said, how did you know what my questions were before I asked them? 
And they grinned at each other and didn't say anything. Now I know it was God leading them in their conversation with me. My second question was, how do I get what you have? How do I do this? Evidently, I'm supposed to do something here. They said, well, it's real simple. They walked back behind Jack in the Box, and the next street back's Cameron Drive. And we stood out there in the woods, and they led me in a simple prayer, and I asked Jesus to forgive my sin and to close the gap between me and him, to become my Savior and to forgive me and to give me the gift of eternal life, according to the word that these guys had just showed me in the Scriptures. And I didn't provoke this, but when I looked up from praying, my, my face was flooded with tears. And they asked me a specific question. They said, how do you feel? Which was an interesting, not what do you think? They said, how do you feel? I said, I, I feel light. I feel like I, I could just float away. I also feel like I could take this brace off and throw it in the woods. Now, had I known about faith at that point, to the point I know now, I may have done that. Because I believe in that moment Jesus healed me. Saved me from my sin, gave me the gift of eternal life, and set me free from my past. And I didn't, but they didn't tell me that, or I might have pulled it off and thrown it away, and walked off saved and healed. And I was saved. And I said, I feel like I could float. And they said, That's the burden of sin that was just lifted off your shoulders, like a bag of concrete. You're light. And I said, I'm light. But then after that, in that moment, that is the immediate. Anybody else have a similar experience? Maybe not all those things, but Christ came into your life and just set you free. Now, here's the problem I face. And I've been a pastor now for a long time. I've been a part of this one church since 1971. So that's 40 years in the same church. It's the only church I've ever been a part of. Yeah, that's a while. <laughs> that's a while. Don't get around much, do you? <laughs> I get around. <laughs> I just like it here. And, uh, and so I, I am constantly reminded that it, of, of all the people and preachers that I might reference, I am the most guilty of what I'm about to say. And some of you have grown up here, and, uh, and so my, you have my apologies if, I, if I've done this to you. Because in that moment, I was free as could be. I was saved from my sin. I was forgiven. I was right with the Father. I had Christ as my Savior. I, I was in the immediate relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. I was, I was okay right then. And I didn't know I had to do anything. Right? There was, they didn't say, okay, now here's the list. You got to keep all these things. And, you know, you can't, we joke around and say, can't smoke, can't chew, can't run around with the girls that do. You know, there's the list. They didn't pull the list out and say, by the way, you need to read Exodus 20 and follow the Ten Commandments. They didn't say, you've got to go here and find the 360-some specific laws of the Old Testament and keep every one of them. And I'm glad they didn't, because I would never make it, and nor would you, right? Hebrews addresses this issue clearly and tells us that we're not about having a you-got-to-do religion. A religion that's framed by men. A religion that is given to us as a, a list of to-dos and to-don'ts that make us somehow acceptable to God. When I came to God, the, my Bible tells me, your Bible says the same thing, all my righteousness, that is my very best capability, is like a filthy rag in front of God. That's the best I can do. That's my best day. Now, i got lots of worse days. How about you? 
lots of worse days, but if I zero on my best day and say, God, here's what I brought to you for so I could be saved. He goes, oh, filthy rag. What's that? That's not much of an offering, is it? And there's been songs over the years sung. You know, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. He takes the broken and he makes it mended. He, he takes the unforgiven and makes us forgiven. He takes the unloved and makes us loved. He takes the unlovely and makes them lovely. There's all kinds of exchanges that he makes. We read in the scriptures. He gives me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. He's always taking the burdensome job and giving me the freedom. Jesus said, come to me, right? All of you who are heavy laden. And what, what comes next? I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But over the years, the, the church has taken kind of a, a Judaistic Christianity and combined them and said, but you've got to do all these things. The book of Galatians is very clear. Paul's after the, the region of Galatia when he's teaching there. His letter saying, foolish Galatians, who, who so easily uh, convinced you to go back to the old ways? But they were being approached by what was called Judaizers who would say, Jesus is good, the blood is good, the forgiveness is good, but you can't be a complete Christian unless you're circumcised. Well, that's bad news. And actually, it's bad doctrine. And Paul got right on it with this letter and said, look, that's not how it works. Circumcision doesn't save us. And uncircumcision doesn't save us either. Neither one is most important. What's most important is as a renewed heart. Being a free person. I, I, it would have been nice to live as a Christian in that little instantaneous bubble of that day and have it expand forever. But the truth is, over time, even in the church, we get a lot of things laid out to us that says, but you've got to act like this and you've got to look like that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And, and, so we, and then we kind of judge each other. We, well, we don't judge. No, we're not going to do that. But we do. We evaluate. And we say, well, they're kind of not a Christian, are they? Well, you either are or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. You can be a really rotten, born-again person. Right? I mean, Jesus can save you. You can still be a nerd <laughs> or something worse. <laughs> I got saved that day in, in downtown Big Bear Lake, and then I backslid really good for about a month because I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I really didn't. Until one of my drug buddies said, Hey, you know... uh, I can't go out tonight and party because my mom says i got to go to this church thing. I said, well, I'll go with you. And we'll, we'll do that. And I'm not afraid of church. I mean, I've been there a few times, Sunday school and stuff, with other friends. And I could do church. That's okay. It'd be entertaining maybe. We'll, then we'll go out afterwards and party. And I went there. I, I was jack, jack in the box in March. Backslid through April. And hit, this was in May. Some of you heard this before. But in May... I went to this first meeting of 11 days in a row of meetings with an evangelist up here, sponsored by the Ministerial Association. And I went that first night and sat over at the First Baptist Church, and this guy was laying out the gospel from the Bible. I thought, oh, this is that thing I did at Jack in the Box. This is, this is it. This is what I experienced. This is what I need to know more about. This is awesome. I probably didn't use that word at the, at the time, but uh, this is wonderful. And so I was wrapped. I was like, yeah, tell me more, tell me more. And then he, 
provided that altar call moment. You know, we invited people to come and give their hearts to Jesus. And I elbowed my buddy. I said, let's go. He thought I meant, let's go out and party. And so we slid to the aisle, and he went out the front door, and I, I ran for the altar. And I can still take you over there today, and I love going over to the Baptist Church and walking in the sanctuary and going right here in this little spot. That's where I knelt down and I surrendered my life to Christ. It took me in a little room. I filled out a little card. I still have the little card. It says, I give my life entirely to Jesus. And that's when the deal was sewed up for me. I thought, this is what I want. This is the Savior I need to serve. This is the master of my life. I get it now. And by the way, I took in the other ten nights of those meetings. And God took me at my word in that place on the floor. And And today, as we're singing, I said, Lord, again today, take all of me. Have everything I am. You know, whatever I've got, my stuff, my, my family, my finances, my, my health, whatever it is, it's yours. Use it any way you want to. But I don't want to come under bondage and serve out of a, a have to. You have to do this. You have to pray this long every day. You have to read this many scriptures in the Bible. Or you have to memorize all this. And you got to do, 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 do. Come on, anybody else ever been under that? And then when you can't do it, you feel terrible. Guilt and the enemy comes and like sits on your shoulder, the little angel, the little devil picture, you know, he's in your ear saying, You're a failure. You said you're gonna read more, you said you're gonna pray more, you said you're gonna get up early and you sleep in every day and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you know what I'm learning? I just say in, in the name of Jesus. Jesus told me this in his word. He said, Behold, I give you all authority right over the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. So I just say, Lord, I agree with you about your word. I have authority over this thing. And I, I just refuse to listen anymore. Because that's nothing but wanting to bring me under that bondage load again of have-to Christianity. I want to live free. Paul, Paul was very clear in his teaching on these things. And, and we have no evidence that can actually tell us that Paul wrote Hebrews. So I'm not inferring that. I'm talking about in his other letters. So, you know, we need to be free of the law. Last time I preached, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on Jesus, our Melchizedek. And if you remember, it was in this passage in Hebrews. I read quite a lot. And I thank you for hanging in for that. But I remember this verse in 8.13 of Hebrews where it says, in that he says, a new covenant, he made, he's made the first one obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And that's a real simple verse at the end of quite a discourse, but saying the old covenant. Jesus said, I give you a new covenant. I'm I'm making the old covenant obsolete. And if I write a will, which I should, and all of us probably should do that, have some instructions about what happens if we go to be with the Lord and leave things undone here. But if I write one it's in, and put it into effect, it doesn't, it's no good until I die, right? And then it's put into effect. But I, until I'm dead, I can go and take it and change it. I can modify it and put new people in, and I can take you out of it or whatever, <laughs> right? And then I can modify it and update it. Jesus said, the old, that's a covenant, that's a testament of my life. She said that the Old Testament, the Old Covenant that was given to Moses is the one that's becoming obsolete. And I bring you a new covenant. I'm going to enforce it and put it into place with my blood. 
my life is going to put this covenant into place. I'm going to buy its ability to be effective in you through me, that through my flesh, through my blood, I establish this covenant with you. And the old one is obsolete. Simply said, I, and you could call me a heretic or take me to task in the word, but I think that what Jesus is telling us is that we're not under the law anymore. It's not up to us to keep the Mosaic law and try and make God happy by doing good things. We don't make sacrifices. We don't bring animals and goats and all that stuff. But we have other ways in the Christian church of putting limitations on ourselves. One of them that, that I'm revisiting, even, as I should probably remind us, you know, we have boxes on the wall, tithes and offerings, the little signs right above them. Tithes and offerings. Tithes is a 10%. Right? We've talked about it a couple weeks ago again, that it's a giving of a 10%. It's an act of worship. But you know what? That can come real legalistic. And I'm telling you, I, for one, I live under the law of that because I choose to. I choose to. If I want to know how much I made last year, all I have to do is look at my tithing record that the church sends me, and there's my number. Because I'm one of those Pharisees when it comes to this stuff. It's like to the penny. I make sure it's done. I try and give a lot more than that, but that would never go undone. But has a tithe ever felt like a law to you? Like, you know, the church says, hey, you've got to give that 10% because I need to eat. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've kind of come across that way. And we throw out the handcuffs and we put them on you and say, you've got to live under this rule or you're not really a Christian. I might say if we, we want to do all those rules and live and be and do and all that, then we might be churchians. We might not, might not be Christians. We're lawgivers. Okay, I better read the Bible. Huh? I can give you a lot of Bible in here already. If you were paying attention, you could have wrote down a few passages there. Hebrews. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels... He says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, and if, if you get kind of lost in this, it's not hard to get lost here. And almost immediately, like, okay, what's he talking about? He's basically beginning to point out how much greater than angels Jesus is. That's as simple as this gets. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's laying, starting to lay a case that will unfold all the way through the book of Hebrews. Christ is greater than angels. So I said, to which of the angels did he say, you're my son? 
He didn't say that to any angels. He only said it to his son. Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. I know I point this out very regularly. It's when you're reading your Bible and you look at that. Just keep track of the capitalized words. Because when it says, your throne, O God, is forever, and your kingdom is capital Y, right? God, your God, has anointed you, capital Y. These are references to God. These are not you and I use. These are references to divine. And that's why they're capitalized for us in the English, because we're not reading an original language. And, verse 10, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they, those angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels, and by the way, this reference, I won't take time to unfold it too far, but if you looked in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, and Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, you'll find both uh, Stephen, who's about to be stoned as a martyr, uh, reminding us that the law came and was mediated by angels. And the same thing said by Paul in Galatians chapter 3, saying that the law was mediated by angels. And so here this reference says, For if the word spoken through angels, meaning the law, the, co- the old covenant, proved steadfast, and in every transgression and every do- disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we ne- neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, meaning those who actually lived and dwelt with Christ, confirmed the same gospel that Jesus began to teach himself. So the apostles and the early disciples recounted, the early church fathers recounted the truths that Jesus had started teaching. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And there's a question mark, so it probably didn't sound like a question, but it is. How shall we escape if we neglect this that was given to us? A a covenant, a, a promise higher than an old covenant. A promised covenant through Christ. We shouldn't neglect it. But nor should we take the old covenant and overlay the new one with it. And hide this new covenant under a bunch of rules and regulations that come from the old law. I wrestle with this. I'm just being honest here today. And I, I, I don't want to be one of those that says, you've got to do better. I, I've been in lots of conversations and it is supposed that if we just ran some, you know, phony survey, made it up ourselves, and we say in 95% of the churches in America today, the message is going to end with some part of you're not doing well enough, you need to do better. It's going to be there. 
There's going to be some laid out list of rules or things that need to be activated in your life and you're just not doing so well and you need to do better. And so rather than leaving free, having met with Christ and met with his people, we leave with this feeling like I've got to go out and do better to be acceptable. My Bible says he has made you acceptable in the Beloved, capital B, meaning Jesus. When God accepted your life in in and through the salvation that Jesus provided, he made you acceptable. You can't be acceptable to God. I cannot be acceptable to God in myself. I have to come through Christ. Jesus said it clearly. And when you hear a statement like this from Scripture, you have to do what... uh, you know, like the little book, More Than a Carpenter, states by Josh McDowell, I think it is. He said, Jesus is either the, the liar or the lunatic or he's the Lord. Because he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man. There's no exceptions there. No man. It's kind of like this morning when you went out on our three conditions and there are no exceptions. Everybody's supposed to be having chains on, right? How many of you got chains? <laughs> Oh, a bunch of sinners today. <laughs> anyway, not put the law on you. You know, but that's a law. <laughs> I got lost in the chain story. Sorry. <laughs> I felt the conviction of the chains. Where was I? Help me back. Uh, yeah, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord because he says, I, I am the only way, truth, and life, and no man comes to the Father. Except through me. Wow. I did a memorial service yesterday for Peggy Ent. And all of you would know Peggy. Uh, from been here since like 1946 in this community. Came here when she was nine years old. And, uh, <clears throat> and I could stand up in a memorial service and tell them, I didn't write this book, but God did. And when he wrote it, he decided to include some things in here that were pretty specific. You can almost feel the sense coming over people like, oh, here it comes. We're not living up to the rules. I said, no, that's not my point. My point is that he simply said he's the way, truth, and the life, and you can't get to the Father. You need to be in relationship with your Creator, but you can't be unless you come through Christ. There's just no other way. You can't work at it. You can't be good enough. You can't make your own way. You can't decide to have your own religion and do it that way. You have to come through Christ. It's very specific. And then I always say to them, hey, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it, and I didn't say it. I'm just telling you. That's what it says. Jesus is higher than the angels. He is the one who started telling the gospel story. He's the one that brought the good news, and it was carried out by others. And God bore witness to them in this 2, verse 4, with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. He confirmed that the gospel was true and that men could live free. Under a new covenant. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. That is, God hasn't. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now 
We do not yet see all things put under him. It will happen, though. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. What does that mean? Is the, the, the writer here, Hebrews, is beginning to tell us Jesus is greater than angels. He says, but he was made lower than the angels. Man was made lower than the angels. And then Jesus took on the form of man. And so in that moment, he was made lower than the angels. But as he surrendered his life at the cross, was buried and rose again. Now, according to the first part of this, what we read, he's seated forever at the right hand of the Father. He came to do this that he might taste death for you and I. This is an amazing statement to me, and there's no way I could even approach to tear it apart here this morning because I'm still uncertain of it. But I see it. It says that he, at the end of verse 9, that he, capital H, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. It was God's grace that helped Jesus taste death and suffer. Another place later in Hebrews, he says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. For it was fitting for him, verse 10, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. And for this reason, he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's you and me, they're little bodies here. He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. 1 John 3.8, the Apostle John writes, This is the reason Jesus came, was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, so when he hops up on your shoulder, so to speak, and begins to lie in your ear, try and convince you in your heart that you're a failure, and that you're unacceptable to God. And that you're not doing enough. And you should be better than you are. And boy, you better be in church every week because you really need it. You just tell him to shut up in Jesus' name. See, because my Bible tells me I am acceptable to God through Christ. And there's no other hope for me to be that. I am holy only because he is. I am righteous in front of God the Father, I, the Bible says I can just walk right in and talk to him anytime I want without any fear of him smoking me and, and you know, lightning bolt or crushing or dying. I have no fears like the old prophets and under the old covenant who, like Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I thought, I'm a dead man. I've just seen God. No man sees God. Unholiness does not approach holiness and live. And then what happens in that passage? Isaiah chapter 6. An angel flies, takes a coal off the altar and touches his lips and says, This has made you clean. Guess what? You're not going to die. Because God has provided righteousness to you in this moment 
you won't have to die in your unholiness. And then he comes and says to you and I, you can't be righteous before God. You can't be good enough for God. So here's what I'll do. I'll take Jesus and impute. That means he's going to give to you. It's like he opens the ledger. He grabs your ledger book and he goes, wow, you've done a lot of really rotten stuff. And the bottom line of your page here, I add it all up, says death is yours for sure. You're going to die in your sins. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the other page over here and give you some credits. We're going to write Jesus, blood, sacrifice, cross, grave, resurrection. Oh, look, you got a new total. You get to live forever. And you can walk in and talk to the Father anytime you want. But you know you want to go with this page, not this one. You want to go with this page over here on, the, on this side of your ledger that says everything's paid for. I'm good in his sight. I'm righteous because Jesus gave me his righteousness and he imputed it to me. It's not just an overlay that makes you look good on the outside. It's an internal issue that God says you're righteous in me. Now when I come and I go to talk to him, I'm not afraid. When I go to speak with him, I don't have to hear, well, you know, but you're not measuring up. You're not doing so good. You, you really didn't pray like you said you would. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to, I think a lot of that just comes from the way we teach and what we've heard and even in our culture. But we have to go by the Bible. <laughs> so when I hear those things, I want to live like that kid in the brace. It's like, I am free. <laughs> I'm free. I'm saved. I don't have to do drugs anymore. I don't have to be stupid anymore. I, I mean, I don't have to sin against the one who made me. And I can let him fashion me more and more each day to come into the likeness of his son. That's his goal for you, by the way, is that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. So Romans 8 tells us that. Paul says that's his goal for you, is that you'll be conformed to his image. And uh, I can just... Go two directions there. In the scriptures, it says we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right? Romans 12, 2. We're going to be transformed. And you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you take those two words apart in the original language, which I hope you're a good Bible student, you can find out ways to do that. We'll help you if you need help. One is, there's Christ. And he's going to take your life and put you around the outside of Jesus' kind of pound on you and shape you until you look just like him. But the better part is the transformation. That's where he takes his life like the new spring that we're going to have soon, hopefully, <laughs> when all this melts. And that moisture gets in the ground and the new life's going to come up through the root system of all these trees and plants around us. It's going to grow up inside and it's going to take on life again. And that's the transformation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's written in Philippians. And when Jesus begins to live, get inside of you and live his life up in you, inside, then the outside will begin to conform to his image as well. You know, that's why it doesn't work for us to say, hey, this person just came to Christ. Now, I'm going to just tell you, you've got to quit smoking, drinking, doing all the stuff you do. Quit stealing. Quit. It's like change your behavior and see if you can look better in our sight. And there's a certain amount of effort that needs to be applied, right? We need to work at it. You know, we can't just run around stealing still and say, well, when God wants me to stop stealing, I'll stop. <laughs> but what we do is we draw close to him and we draw his life in, into us. We read his word and we worship, we pray, we hang out with other people, we encourage one another. And later in Hebrews, it'll say that too. You know, get together more often as you see the day approaching and spur each other on to love and good works. That's in Hebrews 10, 25. 
And, and as that life begins to flow in you, the outside, the stuff that doesn't belong there will drop off. There's just no room for it anymore. Say, so, you know what? I don't need to do that anymore. It doesn't fulfill me. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me to go and drink and smoke and, you know, and we could list all the vices. It doesn't, I don't get anything from that anymore. And it just begins to drop off. And the life begins to conform to the image of Christ. And we get excited about each other. So I like about being in the cell life and in the life groups that, you know, week to week you get to see people transform and change. You see them fall apart too. <laughs> you know, I had to come one week and I, ah, you know, bad week. Ah. You know, they barf in the living room and you pray for them. The next week it's your turn and they pray for you and you share life together. But over the period of time of being together in a small group, you go, hey, you know what? I've, I've, I've seen you grow. I've seen your life transform. You, do you realize that you used to say these things and now you don't say those things anymore? Really? I didn't realize that. That's because you didn't try to stop doing it. You just got more and more of the life of Christ in you. As we pray together in fellowship, you're just getting to look a lot more like him all the time. And don't let it go to your head because you're a long ways from done. We hold that card. Inasmuch as the children, verse 14, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Who's the seed of Abraham? You and I, Christians, believers by faith. And you find that in Romans and Galatians, Paul writes about this, is that those who are of faith in Christ are the seed of Abraham. Okay? So that's you. Indeed, he does not give aid to angels. This support system that is built by Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit is not available to angels. It's available to you, the seed of Abraham, those who are living by faith in Christ. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brothers. Jesus had to be made like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. Now, there's a word for you, huh? We use that at least twice a week, right? Propitiation, what a word. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. You can skip ahead to 4, verse 15. says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our Melchizedek. Jesus has done all the work for us. Now he's asking as we surrender our lives to him to allow him to transform us, to allow him to shape our lives to be like his, to allow him to live inside of us so much that he lives out through us. And the things we we do outwardly will reflect who he is. Just as he, according to the first part of this chapter one, he is the express image in verse three of chapter one. He's the express image of, of his person. He is the brightness of God's glory. You know, as the sun shines today, you know, it's going to be bright. It'll reach all the way to us, right? And, and wow, we'll be beneficiaries of that. And what this says is that when Jesus came, he was the brightness of the image of the Father and began to shine the love of God into us. We can live by this Christ 
who lives in us. And when he lives his life up and through us, others will begin to testify, you're different. There's a shining, if you will, about you. There's a, there's a, a presence when you're here. Things change when you enter the room. What is that? Why is it that way? Why is it you always seem to be okay with people, even if they do wrong to you? How is it you're always doing things that serve others? And you seem to love your neighbors. And you know, I have a hard time doing all those things. I say, well, I did too, until the life of Jesus began to live out through me. And I began to see things differently. I mean, I understand things differently. I used to yell at my kids all the time and scream and yell at them and, and whoop on them. And then, but then I realized that's not how you make a family. Jesus comes and loves us. And so now we do things differently at our house. And it comes out way better. Amen? Amen. So it, it, what I'm saying is that pick an area of life and it will translate into benefit there. People come to your business and say, it's just different here. I like coming here. Because it works different here. I feel honesty. I feel openness. I feel secure in, in being here. And now for the seven points of this message. No, I'm just kidding. I said seven. I never got to them. And, uh, but I will. I'll get to them. <laughs> but not today. I appreciate that you, uh, you, you gave up your time to shovel the snow and get out here this morning. And, uh, yeah. Mine was light and fluffy, so it was all right. Gary. Describe the mastery of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the desire for a high level of sanctification should never be legalistic bread. Right. It should be hunger. Mm-hmm. Amen. Those that hunger and thirst will be filled. He'll bring that life to us. That's right. The, 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 the law-driven thing, it just doesn't work. It doesn't produce life. It produces bondage. Paul spent so many times writing in the Hebrews, as we go through it, will show us these things too, that that we're free to live for Christ in bondage. So, but Paul was specific. He said, don't use your liberty as a cloak of, of uh, big King James word, lasciviousness. Don't, don't use it to cover up your sin and run around and do whatever you want to do. Just slop on sloppy grace. The grace of God, I remember we read this, came to Jesus so that he could suffer and die. Well, grace of God doesn't come so that we just Cast off all restraints and live like crazy people. The grace of God comes to help us live the life of Christ. Without that, we're not going to make it. Thank you for being here. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. May it bring to us life. Lord, I, I put my confidence in you today, in your work in us. Thank you that you can do what we cannot Thank you that you bring transformation to our lives, that you call us into relationship with you. And the closer we get to you, the more we become like you. Thank you for all the words of the apostles and the early writers so that when we see him, we'll be like him. We are his children. We are your sons. It doesn't yet appear what we'll be, but when we see you, we'll be like you. Help us to see you regularly, every day, more and more, all the time, so that we can be transformed into the image of of your son. Jesus, we surrender to you, our hearts, once again. I think if we say it verbally, then our faith will rise to do it regularly. Help us.
to be surrendered in every part of our living, that we would hold nothing back or hide anything, and that you would be Lord of everything we are and do until you return for us. Lord, strengthen us. Give us that same grace you gave to your Son that, that we might even be able to suffer for your kingdom and to do it with joy. Take us through this book of Hebrews with your wisdom and, and your mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, and thanks to Greg, who got this whole thing plowed out. Here. Snowblower, and now he needs an adjustment. Bye.